Meditation basically, for those who may prefer review at the beginning, is in two parts. The first part is mental stabilization, how to calm the mind and relax the body. That's the first part, the first, first perspective. State, mental stabilization. And this next part is mental introspection. That is mental insight. You look internally, contemplate. So it's in two parts. And um, now we've been talking on mental stabilization for many, many weeks already. And now we are actually touching on introspection. And introspection, we need to have more detail in introspection. Because when you introspect, when you contemplate, when you think, you need concepts to think about. Everybody thinks with words and concepts. You cannot have no concept and no words, then you cannot think. So what are these concepts? We say these concepts must be concepts with wisdom, concepts with morality, concepts with meditation. This must be the right concepts. And of course, we have gone through the definition and what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong and all that. We have already have covered that. So in order to have the right concepts, uh, as expounded by the Buddha, uh, we need to know what concepts to know because the Buddha had been talking for 49 years in his lifetime after enlightenment. And what he talked about has been written down in millions of words. It's, it's immeasurable. Millions of words the three canons of Buddhism, millions of literature, millions of words. So it's just like an ocean. The ocean contained all the water. But what we need to know is, we need to know, I'm just giving an analogy. We need to know the taste of the ocean. And in order to know the taste of the ocean, we cannot drink up the whole ocean. It's impossible. So it's so immense, how can we drink up the ocean? What we need to do is use a clean cup, scoop up a cup full of water and drink it. Then you know the taste of the ocean. As long as the water is not polluted. So you need to scoop one cup here, scoop one up cup there and scoop another cup there. And then you know, oh, that's the taste of the ocean. I, need to, I don't need to drink up the whole ocean, it's impossible. That's what we've been doing. We have been tasting a cup here, a cup there, and we want to make sure that this is not polluted. And one of the cups that we need to know in order to, when we are doing introspection in meditation, we know whether we think it right or wrong. So we need to know uh, one cup, one of the many cups, the few cups that we've been drinking, drinking is the Noble Eightfold Path. The Noble Eightfold Ways contain eight ways, the Buddha said, that we would arrive at Nirvana, at 
enlightenment, or the, the, the Noble Eightfold Ways. And in the, the, the Noble Eightfold Ways, if we can classify, it's classified into wisdom, morality, and meditation. Then we say, is there a sequence to it? Do we practice morality first, or do we practice uh, introspection of wisdom first, or do we practice meditation first? Is there a sequence to it? It's all simultaneous. A very good word. <laughs> I learned it today. It's all simultaneous. There's no such thing as sequence because it's all one. You cannot segregate. How can you segregate wisdom from morality? Morality is what, what you want to do that is right. What is right and what is wrong? You don't have a wisdom to differentiate between right and wrong, then how can you practice morality? So there's, there's, it's, it's no, no sequence. But if for, for people who really want to know, well, I, I need a sequence. I'm more comfortable with, with a sequence to learn, then okay, you learn how to be a good person first. Learn, you have to heighten up your morality. There's certain things that you can do and certain things you cannot do, right? You need, if you really want a sequence, but actually, that sequence is you have to force through it because what is wrong, what is right, you need wisdom. You need wisdom to know what is wrong, what is right. So they are simultaneous. And then if we try to open this up and know a little bit more about it, the, the way that this is lined up has a certain wisdom to it too. The way that this eight noble eightfold ways a line up, you know, one up to another, also has his own wisdom to it. The first one is right perspective and right orientation, which pertains to wisdom. And the second is right, the third is right speech, right action, and right lifestyle, or right livelihood, uh, that pertains to morality. And we all have explained that. And we have also have touched on 50% approximately about what is right effort, uh, right effort. And we need number one and number two to guide three, four, five. We need wisdom to guide speech, action, and lifestyle. But we need the right efforts to guide seven and eight. When you do seven and eight, there's the right introspection and right mental equilibrium you need the right efforts to guide number seven and number eight. And number seven and number eight is all about thoughts, about mentality, about a thought. Everything starts with a thought. Watch your thought. A thought, if it is repeatedly done, if it is expressed out, it becomes action in speech. When that thought is always repeated, carry out action and speech, that becomes what? That becomes your habits. And when that habit is repeatedly done, that becomes your personality. Personality, as we always say, determines your destiny, whether you can be good or bad. So everything starts with a thought. When we're learning at school, when we want to resolve problems, we resolve the problem at its root. The root is in the thought, not with the action. 
You cannot change the crime of a society without changing the mind of its citizens. You cannot just stop crime and eliminate crime, and you, but they still do it because you haven't educated them from the root. In other words, you don't solve the basic problem. You have to go to the root to solve its basic problem. So number six is you have to use the right effort to apply to number seven and number eight. And of course, we have spent quite a bit of time on right efforts. Right efforts contains four parts to it. Prevention, elimination, the next would be cultivation and maintenance. So prevention, elimination, cultivation and maintenance. We already have explained that. Prevention and elimination is the passive side of it. Cultivation and maintenance is the active side of it. The example that we can give is, how do we prevent crime? How do we eliminate crime? But prevention and elimination is just to remove the unwholesome stuff, unwholesome things. But cultivation and maintenance is to encourage wholesome things. So it's just, just like in a school. Other than saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, this is the discipline, you need to know what you can do. You can spit on the floor, and you can, you can, uh, you, you can break the windows, but you have to practice, say, loving kindness. You don't break anything. So in other words, other than preventing and elimination, you need to cultivate. You need to maintain the cultivation. So everything that the Buddha was talking about has a logic. Not just passively prevent and eliminate, you have to actively cultivate and maintain. So how do we prevent and um, eliminate unwholesome thoughts? And how do we cultivate and maintain wholesome thought becomes the crucial part in meditation. No need to talk about how do you cross your leg, how do you put your where the hands are put, which, which place you go to, which video you look at. These are the basic things that we have to, to know. So, given that we know where the right efforts to be put, we say, last time we stopped at, we, we stop at cultivation. We say, how do you cultivate states of mind, wholesome state of mind? We, are, we already have been talking about something about um, prevention of unwholesome states of mind, elimination of unwholesome states of mind, that is bad thoughts, right? We talk about preventing and eliminating bad thoughts, but how do we produce cause to arise, wholesome thoughts. How do we maintain such a state of mind until we reach mental perfection? The Buddha suggested seven ways to do this. And we call it the seven ways to awakening. 
seven ways to awakening. First one, introspection of attention. Second, investigation and interpretation of subjective experiences by introspection with the wisdom of the Dharma. Of the Dharma. The Dharma is what the Buddha, the Buddha's Dharma, the Buddha's teaching is the Dharma. Three, strengthening of the mano with the right efforts. Four, contentment of our mano or mano. Uh, fifth, body and mind relaxation. Six, mental equilibrium. Seven, entrance to the jhana. All these should be studied in detail. You see, the Buddhist teaching has to be studied repetitively so that you know the details because when you are doing introspection, you need, you need to be very familiar with the tools. These are the tools to do your introspection. It's just like a carpenter. If you have taken a carpentry course without going through the practice, okay, you have to do it this way, the nails should be put this way, the beams, the columns, you know, all these to be put that way. But you need to do a few jobs. You need to re uh, repeat doing and doing and doing all these various carpentry uh, uh, techniques until you're all familiar with the techniques. Then can, you can use these techniques to do the meditation. A carpenter, if he wants to be a proficient, professional carpenter, needs to be repetitively doing his carpentry job until he comes to almost close to perfection. He needs to do it all the time. So all these concepts, not just about knowing it and that's it. <laughs> we know all these concepts and you need to shelve it on the, on the bookshelves and never look at them again. No. We've been studying Buddhism for many, many years. And I always bring out the basic to, to think, to ponder on it, to think about it, to get familiar with it. You can't just, okay, one-time one deal. I look at Google and all this is the seven steps to awakening. I memorize all these words and then I'm okay. No, no, no. This is a lifetime learning. Lifetime learning, not just one time. You think you know about it? So you don't, know, you don't need to go to all different teachers because you haven't really mastered one teacher's saying and you're going to the next teacher and you're going to the next teacher. So, Buddhism is like that. But in order to know the seven steps to awakening, awakening of what? What is awakened? Awakening of the mind. In order to know what are we trying to awaken? Are we trying to awaken? We are, the Buddha said we're in a dream. We must learn to, to awake from the dream of existence. We're in a dream. We don't know we're in a dream though. We think everything is real. But we are in a dream. And what is dreaming? Is it the body's dreaming? It's the mind that is dreaming. It's the mind that caused the problem. So if the mind that is dreaming, don't we need to study the mind? We have to know how we think. We have to know how the mind goes astray. We have to know how the, the mind gets into depression, fear, worry, anxiety, hatred, jealousy, arrogance, 
selfishness, I don't know <laughs> what, what, well, you can go through a list of psychological effects on the mind or psychiatric terminology about the mind. But we need to know how the mind thinks, right? If we don't know how, how we think, how can we resolve the problems that comes up from the mind, right? So how does the mind think? You see, the Buddhist teaching is so profound that one leads to another. One is related to the other. It's like a, all sorts of interrelationship. You have to study all these interrelationships, and all of a sudden, if you study them in detail and you know, bang, all the mists disappeared. But before the mists disappeared, you have, to, you have to know. And you don't need to drink up the whole ocean to know. You just need few basic, very important concepts to know about it. Because the ocean is immeasurable. You can't drink it up. Even if you live up to 100 years, you can only, you can only read the Buddhist teaching once. That's what the Chinese said. To read all the canons in, in, in Chinese that they have translated, you need to live for 100 years. And even if you live for 100 years and read up all these words, you only know the words. Why don't we stop at this point a little bit and try to know in order to understand this awakening of the mind, we need to know some basic information, basic knowledge about how the mind thinks. Otherwise, we won't understand. The Buddha told us a lot of information about how the mind works. And that is in a school of thought that, the, that later philosophers classified it. And that's what we call the study of the consciousness. Or in, in, in the Sanskrit languages, Vijnana Matrata, that is study of just the mind. The, the, the Buddha talk about, a lot about the mind. And we, we, we need to study some of it in order to know how to get to the seven steps of awakening. Let's go through some basic of what the mind is all about, the mental, our mental experiences. The Buddha talk about eight consciousnesses. It's a plural word for consciousness. Our mind is not just one mind. We have to study it from eight perspectives. It, it has eight very important parts. It has more than eight important parts, you know. But we only can, our, our knowledge, our human knowledge is only limited in such a way that we can't go to every subtlety of, 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 of the mind. Neuroscientists told us that they only have covered 10% of what the mind is all about. There's a lot of things we don't know about the mind. We only, they, only, they, they only can unravel the mystics of the mind. They say, we just studied 10%. Okay, so let's go to what the Buddha was talking about the mind uh, according to his own. Let's first get to the, the top first. Atapancha Vinayana. The first five perceptible consciousness or perception consciousnesses. This is the perception. What was perceived through the five sense organs. Do we have the five sense organs? The eyes, the ears, the nose, the taste, the tongue, the body, right? We have all these sensory organs. If you don't have these sensory organs, you don't have a mind. 
right? We are, and some people may have limited sensory organs. They may not be able to see, classified as blindness. They may not be able to, to hear, deafness. So if you are lucky enough to have the five sensory organs, you appreciate it. You appreciate your sensory organs. But some people don't appreciate their sensory organs. Um, take a look at that essay that Helen Keller wrote. Helen Keller was blind and deaf and mute. You know, he couldn't... Many of her senses were lost at, at you know, baby age. And he said that if I'm given three days to see, what would I see? He, she couldn't see. So if you have all the senses, don't you appreciate your own senses? How do you use your senses? How do you use your senses? How do you use your eyes? You use your eyes to get onto Google, and maybe you want to get into games. You're getting, maybe you're going to get into things that you shouldn't be seeing. Of course, sometimes you use your eyes to see books that would enrich your knowledge. So why do you use your eyes? Do you really appreciate using your eyes to see those that would give you enlightenment? Or do you want to use your eyes to see things that would lead you down to hell? Lead you down to quarrel, discontentment, lead you down to, I don't know. Let's appreciate our eyesight and use our eyesight to do something useful, meaningful, beneficial. So, I'm just putting in some words about, about, about eyes. But dig up that, that essay that was really good. I, I, I read it all the time. Um, you know, um, Give Me Three Days of Light by Helen Keller. You can get it from Google. Appreciate your senses. What do you use, for, what do you use the tongue? You use the tongue to what? To tell lies? Or to tell the truth? What do you use the tongue? What do you use the tongue? To speak good things about things? Or you use the, your tongue to criticize unjustifiably? I don't know how you use the tongue. You have that freedom, you know. Our mind contains what? The perception part. The sensory organ parts. The front-end salesman. Don't you know the front-end salesman of a company? All these front-end salesmen, these are your senses. But they're not the manager, though. They're only the front-end salesman that's doing all this reception, receiving, you know? The, uh, the receptionist, answering telephones. People coming in, you know, they just interact with them and say who they want to see, you know? Well, what do you want? The, 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 the receptionist part. The perception part. And other than the reception part, there is the mano, which is the next one, which is the sixth consciousness. The five is the eyes, the ears, the nose, the taste, the body, and, and all that, the five consciousness. The next one would be the sixth consciousness, which is the mano, which nana. This is the interpretation of the perception. The perception needs to be interpreted, categorized, rationalized. The perception itself cannot make a decision. The eyes only see, the eyes don't make decisions. Do the eyes make decisions? No. The ears make decisions? 
they are only the perception part. That is also the mono part, which is the what? The manager. The manager is behind the desk, right in the room, inside, overseeing everything, coordinating everything, categorize everything, digging in the files, past files, looking in the budgets, future files, and all that, and all that, and all that. That's the mono. We call that manager. The mono. Mono is the manager. And that manager is very powerful, you know. That manager is responsible for what? For the company's profit or loss. For the company's future. It depends on that manager. And then, that's the sixth consciousness. That manager could be good and could be bad. If that manager is an excellent good manager, you're on your way to success. If that manager is corrupted, bad, lack of morality, you're, you're on way to, to do crime. You're, you're on way to what? To do all kinds of things that is irresponsible, irresponsible. So that manager is actually the manager that we really have to train. You are that manager in your mind. You have that mano in your mind. How do you train your manager? What is your manager doing? All right, the next one, the manas. The manas. In the Pali language, I like that Pali word. You know, Pali and Sanskrit, they're quite close. In the Pali language, is chitta. Chitta means emotional, egoistic. So that manas is your self-centered existence. The manager himself is not exactly self-centered when you consider the whole company. It's only the board of directors that is self-centered. The board of directors, they don't care about anything except for the profit, for the shares. They don't care. As long as you give me good stock price, give me all the profit, I don't care how you do it. They only care about themselves, their ego. They don't, about, they don't care about anything in the world. They're not socially responsible. <laughs> they only care for self-interest, self, self, self. That's your ego. That is in you. That is in me. You have that man, manas, which nana in you, that dominate you. That makes you angry, that makes you emotional, that makes you jealous, that makes you greedy, that makes you ignorant. Manu is just carrying out the duties. But Manu is always dominated by manas. Just as using the analogy, the manager is always dominated by the what? The board of directors. Because the, the managers are hired staff. They can fire them, recruit another manager. So that's the manas, which nana. Okay, the next one is a liar, which nana, which is the eighth consciousness. That is the storehouse for all. That's the, what is the storehouse for all? That's the company's essence. And what is this? It's the whole structure of the company. It, that itself is invisible. 
That is the spirit of the company, the functionality of the company. Everything gets stored. Paying the staff, paying the manager, hiring the manager, firing the manager, reporting to the board of directors, there's a whole deal. That whole deal, there's no such person as the whole deal. That whole deal is all this add together that becomes the whole deal. There's no such thing as, as what is that whole deal? The whole deal is all these pieces put together, that's the whole deal. And this all pieces put together is never, is never forgetting. It's all recorded. If we can use an analogy, that whole deal is that financial statement. It contains all in there, but it contains the whole spirit. But you can't see the manager on the financial statement. You can't see the salesman financial statement. You can't see the files on the financial statement. You can only get the whole thing in one perspective. And that eighth consciousness is your unawakened self. That's, that's you. You contain all this. I contain all that in, in, in eight parts. You have to know this. Otherwise, what's the point of, of, of give you piece, bit and pieces? We don't think that way. Think about company. That's what a company. See, the, the Buddhist teaching is very logical, very modern, very up to date. It depends on how you explain it. If you explain it using all these ancient terms, you don't, you won't, you don't really get to know it. You need, you need modern terms to explain the, the Buddhist teaching, and the, the best is to lay it in this way that you can, you can understand it better. I only have 15 minutes to go, and I plan to, to say a lot more, so I, I better close this and go into the next, to the next slide. Any question? No question? Okay, let's get to the next. It's very difficult to understand. I've been using 40 years to study it, and you think you can understand it in one session? No way. No way, Jose. No way. Yeah, but you need, you, need to, you need to really think about it, and you, you need to be humbly thinking about it and say, no, 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 this is, this is no, this is not right, this is not. Empty your cup of bigotry so that you can receive more cup, you can receive more water. If you fill your, your cup of ideas all full up to the brim, you can't get any more water in. Empty your cup of your own ideas and getting more water in there, new water. Let's go on to the next slide that makes it in a more detailed way. You have external environment, right? We have external environment. You are my external environment. And then this external environment can be classified into five categories, objects, sound, smell, taste, and touch. Right? What are the objects? What are objects made up of? Objects made up of molecules, protons, electrons, neutrons. All these are objects, right? Objects. Every one of these, my eyes can see object. And then there's another category of phenomena, which is called sound. Sound is not object. Even though sound is made of frequency, it is not an object. So how can sound be? You can see sound, right? and then smell, and then taste, and then touch. Touch is not just touching. 
touches the relationship among things that they are interacting with, with each other. And we, sometimes we call it tactility, the, the relationship of things working together. Those, fi those five elements make up of everything in the world. No exceptions. And why do we bring this external environment out? What are our senses? Our eyes see objects, our ears listen to sound, our nose smell, our tongue taste, our body touch, right? You see how clever the Buddha is? He lay all these things out to you so that you understand your own self, you understand your mind, you understand the whole universe. But how many people care to study it? Not many. They miss a very valuable treasure of human philosophy and human civilization. And this is what the Buddha talking about 2,600 years ago, long before the growth of psychology, philosophy. Next, this is the perception part to the five sensory organs that we've been talking about. And then this will interact with what? Let's get into the next one, cognition part, which is the mano. Remember the perception is the five, the five salesmen and sales lady? And then the mano is, is the manager that's behind it? Mano is the cognition part. Everybody has the cognitive process in you when you are when you are cognizing something, when you are listening to something, smelling something, seeing something, you're actually cognizing external externalities, I always call it. And one very important thing that we have to know, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue and the body, only, only what? Only cognize the present situation. Can my eyes see yesterday? My eyes cannot see the past, can you? Raise your hand if you say, I can see everything happened yesterday. No, you only remember, you don't see yesterday. Can you listen to yesterday's sound? Can you smell yesterday's hamburger, Beyond Burger, A&W? You can't, right? You can't see yesterday. You can't listen to yesterday. You can't smell yesterday. You can't taste yesterday, can you? All that images of the past belong to the function of mano, cognition, the manager. The salesmen are not allowed to see the past files. Not just they're not allowed, they cannot see it. They only worry about the present customer that's in front of them. The mano can dig up archive files. Your mind also goes back to old files. So all images of the past, the remembrance, the recollect, the recognition, is all done by the mano. So that's the reason why you can remember. That's the reason why you, you can you also worry about future. Because what? Because you did your budget. And in your budget you have a lot of anxiety and worry and fear that you can't meet your budget. You can't meet your budget, you get fired. So all images of the past. The present, of course, the manager knows because the manager interacts with the, with, with the sales lady and the salesman. So the manager is extremely powerful because he can 
remember, he can categorize, he can budget, he can, oh, he can do all kinds of things. Very powerful. That's the cognition part. You have that cognition part. And if the cognition works in the right way, that's what we call, the psychologist calls what? Cognitive consolence. If your cognition is not doing it in the right way, modern psychologists said cognitive dissonance. What are you doing? Do you do it in the right way or do it in the wrong way? Most of us is in cognitive dissonance. That's why we have crimes. That's why we have people who, I don't know, always do bad things. That's what the Buddha was talking about. Next, let's get into the next one. The ego part, the manas. We have, of course, external environment. We have the past, the present, and the future images are also external to the mind, you know, because the mind creates them. The manager creates them. They're external. And then all this add together, then we also, in our mind, will personalize everything. This is mine. This is me. This is my business. This is your business. I don't mind your business, but my business is important. And we are always egoistic because once we interact with the externalities, we personalize everything. Habitually, you don't have to learn to personalize. A small little kid already know how to personalize. This is mine. Don't take it away. This is my piece of cake. How can you take it away? You bully me. We all personalize. Equitize, egotistically. And then all these add together becomes our body and mind. A delusive self in samsara. We are all this together becomes our body and mind living in a samsara. What is samsara? Samsara is a Sanskrit word. It means life and death. We're in life and death. We have reincarnation of life and death. Do you know that we are in reincarnation? You think we only have one life? We have previous lives too. As we always give the analogy, you are living in a hotel. Namely, that's your body. That body does not belong to you. That body has an unrenewable lease, a net net lease. That means you have to be responsible for everything. Your own painting, your own electricity, <laughs> you can, nobody can do it for you. You think, you think you can, people are responsible for your body? That's a net net lease. You do everything. You have to look after it. And when the lease expires, adios. You cannot say, can I renew it for another 100 years? You have no right. Some people have to lease only for one month in the, in the mother's embryo. Some people have 10 years, teenager, 19 years, 18 years, 17 years, 16 years. When your lease is up, you got to go. Who determines this lease? God? 
Oh, no, 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 no. Don't say that. It's not God. Who make up the lease? God? How can God give us an unfair lease? It's a net, net, selfish lease. Are you happy with your own lease? You're not happy with your own lease. Are you happy with your lease? Who says, I'm happy with my lease? I'm happy to go after 19 years, 18 years, 100 years. I'm happy with this lease because in every minute of my life, I'm happy. Everybody has suffering, have emotions, have worries, have fears. We're living in suffering. But the Buddha said, yes, we're living in suffering, but we can go beyond this. We can transcend all this. We don't need this. Follow my way. And we go there together. I have already gone there. So are you, are you interested in knowing this way? It's not God that gives you the lease. You created your own lease. Why, why did I create my own lease? Because of what I have done. What I have thought. What I have talked. What I have acted. I'm responsible for everything. Some, especially teenagers, they may say, it's not fair. How do I know my past life? If my past life is bad, how can I brought things, something bad in this life? That's unfair. That's unfair. Because I didn't know what I did in my previous life. That's unfair. Let's, let's get an analogy. You kill a rabbit yesterday, for example. And then today you say, I'm not responsible. I killed, I killed the rabbit yesterday. Yesterday is gone. I'm not responsible for killing. Yesterday, it's as yesterday's stuff. Remember, your previous life, action, speech are all done by whom? By you. You killed that rabbit. It does not matter. The killing karmic energy is carried to this life. It's you yourself who did it. You can't say it's unfair. Nobody else did it. You yourself. Are you responsible? If you committed a, something that the school says, no, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to bully your classmates. And then John came up and said, no, no, I didn't bully. I only bought him yesterday. And yesterday is gone. So it's none of my stuff. Yesterday's stuff is gone. How can you say, can you bring back yesterday, Mr. Mr. Jones? You can't bring back yesterday, so how can you bring back my crime yesterday? It's unfair. <laughs> can you say that? You can, right? So body and mind living in samsara, you and me. And store of the present and past karmic energy. And this eight consciousness is responsible for storing everything that is your disk drive. You don't think that anything you've done, it won't go away. That's the disk drive of your life. And that life has been interminable. It's a long, long life. But nothing got forgotten. Nothing will be forgotten. Everything you key in the computer, you think it will be forgotten? Anything you key in the, disk, in, the, in, the, in the keyboard is all registered in the disk drive, good or bad. That includes the program, everything. 
we reincarnate, we go from one body to the next body with this alaya consciousness. This alaya consciousness is invisible. When the body is dead, the alaya consciousness would leave the body. It's invisible. It's energy. How can energy be visible? But what does the energy contain? All the bad things you have done, all the good things you have done, all the neutral things you have done, it's all stored in that invisible bag, which is immeasurable. And that bag will take another hotel. What kind of hotel? Your next body will be your next hotel. What kind of a hotel? We don't know. As we always say, could be a six star, a five star, depends on what you did. It could be just a B&B. <laughs> bed and breakfast, that's all. No more. You can only eat bed and you can only live in there and you can only have one meal per day, your breakfast. You can't afford the next meal. So what kind of a hotel you want to build up for your next life? If that question arises, what's the answer? What kind of hotel you want to build for your next life? Six star? Five star? The answer is, and I'm looking at my clock. <laughs> the answer is, before I give, after I give this answer, I think I'll finish for the day because someone signed. Yes, the answer is, don't go into any more hotel. No more hotel. Get into Anutra Samya Sambuddhi. Go beyond life and death. If you roll into another hotel, there's no end to it. Don't roll into another hotel, even a six-star. The analogy of a six-star hotel is heaven. Don't go to heaven. Heaven is a six-star, seven-star presidential suite. But when the lease expire, living in the presidential suite, you've got to come back again. We don't know where. Don't even think about going to heaven. Of course, it's better to go to heaven than to go, go to, to a presidential suite than a B&B. But who would be going to a presidential suite? All those who have done wholesome things like loving kindness, charity, generosity, helpful. They have done all the good things when you were, they were alive. They're eligible for a presidential suite comically. Not arranged by God. Naturally, they will roll into a six-star, seven-star. Naturally, if you've done all the bad things, you'll roll into not even a hotel. Inferno. Hell ram. Animals. Animal ram. That's the reason why we don't eat animals. They are future Buddhas. They could, be, they could be your past friends. So we say, we don't eat, we don't kill animals for food because that, that, that the beef would come from a, a hawk that could be one of your relatives in previous lives. Could be your mom and dad many, many lives ago. How could you eat your mom and your, your, your previous lives, mom and dad, your friends, your relatives? We don't kill animals because you kill them you have coming energy. They could be a future Buddha too. Because in one lifetime, they practice to become a future Buddha. 
So from tomorrow on, stay vegetarian, can you? Don't kill any animals for food. 